Hello, everybody. I'm Pam Pastor, host of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. I'm happy that you found me, but more importantly, friends, I am thrilled that you have found Jesus. Friends, there is power in the name of Jesus. And as we journey together, we will be unleashing discoveries of how to turn hearts of stone into ones of moldable clay for the potter Jesus to transform. So hopefully, you'll join me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together. Periodically, friends, we'll be delving into my mailbag answering questions from listeners just like you. So if you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. Well, as we prepare to enter into God's presence today, allow me to speak a blessing over your life. This blessing comes to us in the form of a benediction, which was given by Moses's brother, priest Aaron, in the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Shalom. Welcome back, friends. We are continuing on in our teaching from the book of Job. And one of the primary questions we find ourselves asking within the pages of this book are then, why does God allow the righteous to suffer? Shouldn't suffering be regulated for evil people only? And we said on yesterday's episode, first, we must understand that God is beyond our limited comprehension. And second, our part is to always remain faithful. Suffering is not always a result of sin or evil. And often people will assume wrongly, and that's a given, severe suffering may not be our fault. And this is not to shuck off responsibility. However, we don't need to add to our pain by feeling guilty that some hidden sin is causing our trouble. So suffering purifies our faith. We must courageously accept what God allows to happen in our lives and remain firmly planted and committed in Him. Notice, many imperatives are being used because when it comes to God, it's not a gray matter. God is either black or white. We always learned from Job's perspective, and we see that the pain and the loss were monumental, but the greatest trial Job faced was not being able to understand why God allowed him to suffer. And while we already said that suffering may be a penalty for sin, that just isn't always the case. Along the same vein, prosperity is not always a reward for being good. Yesterday, we read about Job's first test in chapter 1, verses 1 through 22, and immediately we're told in Job chapter 1, verse 6, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, the accuser, came with them. Now, the Bible is telling us that a heavenly council is meeting and planning the angels' activities and strategizing upon earth. So often we've discussed Satan's war room, but more importantly is the one of God. 
Notice, though, that the accuser was allowed into this council meeting, into the presence of God. Because it was God the Creator who created all angels, both those who serve Him and those who rebelled against Him, He has complete power and authority over them. Now, another example of God's angels meeting in heavenly council to plan activities upon the earth occurred in 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 19 through 22. 1 Kings was probably written by the prophet Jeremiah. We're not completely sure, but we learn that Micah continued Listen to what the Lord says. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the armies of heaven around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who can entice Ahab to go into battle against Ramoth Gilead so that he can be killed there? There were many suggestions and finally a spirit or an angel approached the Lord and said, I can do it. How will you do this? The Lord asked. And the spirit replied, I will go out and inspire all Ahab's prophets to speak lies. You will succeed, said the Lord. Go ahead and do it. Now that we set in on either a vision that had been shown to the prophet Micah or a parable of what was happening on earth, God used the system of false prophets to trap Ahab in his sin. The lying spirit symbolized the way of life for these prophets who told the king only what he wanted to hear. The question now becomes, does God allow angels to entice people to do evil? Well, to understand evil, we must first understand God. And we've already said God is beyond our comprehension, but here's what we do know about God. God himself is good. God created a good world that fell because of man's sin. Someday, God will recreate the world and it will be good again. God is stronger than evil. God allows evil, and thus he has control over it. God did not create evil, and he offers to help those who wish to overcome it. And finally, God uses everything, good and evil, for his good purposes. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 puts it this way, As far as I am concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. He brought me to the high position I have today so I could save the lives of many people. And God gives us a reinforcement piece of scripture in Romans chapter 8 verse 28. And we know that God causes everything, not some things, but everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Throughout the pages of the Bible were repeatedly shown a God who hates evil and one day will completely do away with it. God does not entice people to become evil. Those committed to evil may be used by God to sin even more in order to hurry their deserved judgment. Did you get that? I'm going to repeat that because I think that's such an important point that we need to really commit and understand deep within our spirit. 
God does not entice people to become evil. Those committed to evil already may be used by God to sin even more. So in other words, they might go on a lying rampage in order to hurry their deserved judgment. Now, Exodus chapter 11, verse 10, Moses tells us, although Moses and Aaron did these miracles in Pharaoh's presence, the Lord hardened his heart so he wouldn't let the Israelites leave the country. Pharaoh had his mind made up long before the plagues began. He couldn't believe that someone was greater than he. This stubborn unbelief led to a heart so hard that even a major catastrophe couldn't soften it. God confirmed Pharaoh's prideful decision and set the painful consequences in motion. God didn't force Pharaoh to reject him. Rather, he gave him every opportunity to change his mind. And you should recall here the nine plagues and Pharaoh continued to harden his heart harder and harder. And the prophet Ezekiel said in chapter 33, verse 11, As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways. Satan was corrupted through his own pride. And although God created him, he made the choice to rebel against God. His tactics are to undermine God by encouraging partial truths so that God's people will be deceived, tricked, disillusioned, and follow false prophets. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 warns us, If we say we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. Satan considers God to be his enemy. One of his purposes is to hinder God's work in people. However, he remains under God's control on a proverbial leash. Therefore, his power is limited to the constraints of God. And Satan is our enemy because he is God's enemy. He was Job's enemy too because he actively seeks out those with temptation. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter admonishes, Be careful. Watch out for the attacks from the devil, your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion. It's not saying he is a roaring lion. It says like a roaring lion, looking for some victim to devour. If anyone knew the crafty, sneaky, evil ways of the devil, it was Peter. And we would do ourselves a tremendous service to heed his warning. Satan wants to make God's people hate God. He does this through lies and deception. He attempts to have people undermine each other rather than building each other up. He uses jealousy and groupthink to come against God's children. Job was the perfect target for Satan and his bag of tricks being handed out like candy by his minions. Job was blameless. He was just living life, not hurting another soul. Yes, it's true he had been greatly blessed, but I ask you, is this any reason to be a hater? 
Why don't we all attempt to be appreciators and not haters? It's the godly way to live. We too find that we are targets of Satan's attacks because we're committed to God. Knowing this, we must be aware and vigilant that Satan's army of fallen demons will attempt attacks upon our lives. Satan needs help to carry out his mission. While this may come from one of Satan's underlings known as a demon, he instructs and influences people who are in his camp and who are suggestible to evil for infiltrating and harassing God's people, who he hates because he hates God. From Job's first test, we learn that Satan is still accountable to God. And it's interesting to note that Satan's belief of Job, according to chapter 1, verse 11, was that if God took away everything he had, he would surely curse God to his face. This tells us how Satan operates. He uses assumptions and not facts. The book of Job demonstrates that Job did not break under the pressure he faced. He taught us that as God's people, we can overcome by the power of God. Today, Satan is real and active, treading upon the earth. We need to have a healthy respect for him, but never fear him. Our focus must remain upon God, who is infinitely greater than the evil one. And it's not unlikely that God allowed Satan into his presence to discuss God's servant, Job. The great news is that we learn in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 from John, that God ushers a critical blow to Satan. His shed blood at Calvary changed everything. John says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has happened at last. The salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser has been thrown down to earth. The one who accused our brothers and sisters before our God day and night. Up until this point, Satan had access to God, but this verse shows us his access becomes denied. He is forever barred from God. He can no longer accuse people before God. This is why Jesus had been our acting defender or our judge advocate. God acts as the ultimate judge to Satan's accusations through people. So friends, I hope you're going to come back and join me tomorrow as we continue further along within the book of Job, looking at his second test. And friends, if you've not been spiritually reborn, wouldn't now be a good time? God made it clear to enter into the kingdom of heaven. A person must confess belief in his son, Jesus, by professing with their mouth. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. When we place our trust in Jesus, a divine exchange takes place. Jesus takes our sin, making us right with God. Our sin was placed onto Jesus at his crucifixion. His righteousness is given to us at our conversion. 
While we can never repay this extraordinary and extravagant gift of kindness back to Jesus, we can show him gratitude by growing and making efforts to obey him, deepening our relationship daily. Today, friends, if this is you, respectfully, I challenge you to take a bold step of courage and openly confess after me. Father God, today I'm repenting of sin, meaning I'm changing my ways of thinking. Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart. I confess your shed blood washed away my sin from the top of my head to the soles of my feet at the cross on Calvary. Amen. Friends, if you just prayed this prayer salvation, you were saved and born again spiritually. Congratulations. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you through his Holy Spirit. And consider growing by joining a good Bible-based church, surrounding yourself with other like-minded believers who will build up and help edify your faith in Jesus. Now allow me to be the first person to congratulate you on making the most important decision of your life. Congratulations and God bless you. Friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. A special children's podcast airs on Wednesdays, so tune in along with your kiddos for your favorite Bible stories that you grew up with. We'll be discussing and sharing Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, spiritual warfare, how to be joyful, what love in action looks like, biblical trust, and many more topics. I invite you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark on an adventure of all things Jesus. So please join me. And if you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, ensuring you're going to get the latest releases when they become available. And friends, much of today's podcast was referenced from my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you found the content inspiring or compelling, you can pick up a copy from my website at pampastorcopywriting.com or at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Dorrance.com. And importantly, if you're unable to afford a copy, write to me. I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands. You won't be disappointed. It's full of God's word and it's waiting for you to read it. Until next time, remember you have been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ forever. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Until next time, friends, God bless you.